Hey there, Screen Beans. Have you heard about Screen Snark? Rachel, this is an ad break. They aren't Screen Beans until they listen to the show. Fine. Potential Screen Beans. You like movies and TV shows, right? I mean, who doesn't? Screen Snark is a casual conversation about the movies and television shows that are shaping us as we live our everyday lives. That's right, Matt. We have a chat with at least one incredible guest every episode, hailing from all walks. We've interviewed chefs, writers, costumers, musicians, yoga teachers, comedians, burlesque dancers, folks in the film and TV industry, and more. We'd be delighted for you to join us every other Monday on the Certain POV Podcast Network. Or wherever you get your podcasts, fresh and tasty off the presses. What? what? That's... No, that's not... Can I call them Screen Beans now? Fine. Screen Beans! So tune in and we'll see you at the movies or on a couch somewhere. Because you're a whole Screen Beans now. Welcome, everyone, to the pilot, the first episode. This is what I like to call a backdoor back pilot, backdoor pilot for a series I've been thinking about for a while now, and it's the art of adaptation. Uh, I don't know if I'm like the rest of your friends where I get so excited when something I love is being turned into theater or film or television, and then I get so mad when it goes wrong, because let's be honest, most of the time it goes wrong. But for our first episode, I wanted to talk about one that, in my opinion, went so right and went even better than the source material. And the source material is pretty darn perfect. Um, so for my first ever episode, I have my co-ghost from <laughs> Exit Stage Death, an actor, a performer, an all-around swell human being. I have M. Martinez. M, welcome to the oh, show. Oh, hello. Wait, can we call each other? Wait, what did you say? Co-ghost? Co-ghost, absolutely. That is going into exit stage death. Are you kidding me? It has oh to. That's we'll, we'll we'll adapt that for season two. I will say it is totally stolen from the Animorphs podcast Minds at Yerk. I love oh, them. They are lovely. Love uh, yeah, they're amazing. So M, before yes. we jump into Heartstopper, which oh yeah, by the way, we're talking. Oh about yeah, we're talking. <laughs> Why don't you just tell everyone at home a little bit about who you are? For some reason, they don't know who you are at this point. Um, hi, my name's Emily. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am predominantly a musical theater actor, and I dabbled in YouTube. Um, so if you want to go there, I've got a lot of content about cruise ship life and then just theater, lifestyle in general, a lot of vlogs. Um, but now over there and also just in the internet space, I am a podcaster of my own podcast as well called mm -hmm. Oh, I'm Lonely. And it's a podcast about finding the purpose in loneliness mm -hmm. because uh, even though you feel lonely, you're never alone. And I've basically been taking that concept and creating a a show around just the different areas in our lives that um, human beings feel lonely and we don't talk about because there's usually shame involved or um, ta quote unquote taboo topics. And there are things that so many people experience and it's just a way to connect us. And it's been, I know it's been helping me in the healing and it's been challenging me and it's, I love it so, so much. And then other than that, I'm just a human being that, <laughs> 
is <laughs> finally diagnosed with ADHD. Ooh, we love it. Working through <laughs> We're it. We're working through our diagnoses. And yeah. Um, yeah, you know, just I'm just here trying to create a nice space on, on the interwebs where people don't uh, fall dark, down dark holes of shame and trying to keep people feeling like they are mm-hmm. enough in all ways, you know what I'm saying? Because it is okay to be lonely. It is okay to be sad, but it's how we use those energies. Yeah. To, you know, um, and that is like a sad day is how I finally dived into this property that we're talking about today. Yeah. So, oh my God. I love it so much. I, love I do it too. So much. Uh, yeah. We're talking about Heartstopper by Alice Osman, which is a Netflix series. It is also a graphic novel series um, that started on Tumblr, then went to Webtoons, has now been published, is also part of Alice Osman's Solitaire series. Um, so she's developed this incredible multiverse for herself. I think and she's dope. like 26 years old, 28 years old. Like it's amazing. I um, am not going to compare myself to her it's i am not well, no, it's to i think it's so interesting to think about like um the british education system like thinking about this and then yeah. thinking about like six and how a lot of these things came out of people's uni work and i was like well that's way cooler than my showcase that i did but yeah. again we're not comparing so <laughs> what is I'm like i learned how to use iMovie <laughs> Oh, I didn't even learn that, but I learned how to Photoshop a meme like uh, like the devil. I can Photoshop like no other. We learned how um, to dance in sacks. Yeah, dance in sacks. Dance in sacks. <laughs> <laughs> so, Em, what was your first exposure to Heartstopper? Uh, Netflix. Definitely Netflix. Okay. I... I, I am usually a person that happens to see the, the film adaptation before reading the book. So I'm when you asked me to do this, I was like, oh, I haven't read it. And you were like, can you read it for this? And I was like, ugh. And then I went, no, I will. I will read it. <laughs> I will read. And it's, it's so short and easy. It's, it's so like a 90-minute read. Yeah. Yeah. And it um, – I'm so happy I did. Um, I can't wait for the next installments. But – uh, yeah, so the first time I watched it, I want to say I started pretty soon after it came out in 2022, um, and I just – I couldn't even – I can't even, like, explain all of the feelings that, like, were going through me as I was watching it. I'm sure we'll get really into it, but um, I feel like I watched it pretty much in one sitting um because i mean it, it goes by pretty quick it's like pretty short episodes oh, it's four hours it's four yeah. hours so i definitely episodes. yeah i think i definitely watched it in one sitting and um i cried so much i just felt so much like come up mm-hmm. in my heart um i my community knows this maddie you know this but like mm-hmm. um for anyone who doesn't i came out later in life as bisexual um, I came out when I was – I'm 33 now. I came out when I was 31. And I really, like, repressed that shit for a very long time. And it was only during the pandemic that, like, my heart allowed me to, like, mm-hmm. experience it and, like, understand what was going on. And I just couldn't stop thinking the whole time while watching this show, like, if only, if only this had existed when I was young. If only. And I think I cried about that while I was watching it because of like kind of this feeling of like a lost like youth in a way. Mm-hmm. But also as like a, oh, I'm so happy that this exists now for people. 
especially with like the representation. I mean, with the representation all around and in the books, really all around this idea mm-hmm. of chosen family. Oh my God. I was like weeping reading it of like, of just, I didn't realize, I didn't realize while I was watching it, how much by erasure was mm-hmm. present in my life until mm-hmm. watching it. And I was like, Oh, it could have been this beautiful and this easy for mm-hmm. me to watch this when I was young. And, um, yeah, I just so I, I I feel like we text each other every time we're like, well, we um, do. like anytime <laughs> we're both going again. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, it's like when we text each other that it's like, okay, how are you? What do you need? Because it's like, uh, nothing. It's like that that Instagram or that TikTok of like nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. And then you hear like, it's like just watching uh-huh. Heartstopper again. <laughs> like, uh-huh. yeah. like, oh no. <laughs> it's like, I'm fine. And in my vision, the little leaves like wind across my vision. <laughs> Why are we like this? Why are we Why like are we... this? I'm sorry. The best line that is the most, like, it's just, it's so, it's so lovely. Yeah. I knew the series existed. Um, I love, I will pretty much partake of anything that is queer centric. This has been, this has been on everyone's like tip of their tongue since like 2016. And then when it started getting published in 2019, like everybody was devouring it. And I, at one point I bought all three volumes because volumes one through three were out, but volumes four was not out yet. And so I bought them because I was like, oh, there's this Netflix series coming out. Oh God, I hope it's not sad because all gay things are sad. Yeah. And I bought them and I was like, well, I'm not going to watch the show until I read the books. And it was just before the show came out. And I had a real bad day at work one day and I had just gotten book four had come in from Amazon. And so I was just laying in my bed and across the room, they just very cutely were bright primary colors on my bookshelf. And I went, this is how we're starting. This is how we're starting. When I tell you that I read all four volumes in two and a half hours and cried and just laid on my bed and just felt so, um, and then it became my gym show that I watched on to get through my half hour on the treadmill or the, the bike every day. And it was Mm -hmm. just. It's like you said, one, it without being contrived in many ways. Now, rewatching it again, I went, "Mm, that's a little heavy handed. But again, I don't think there's a way that we can do things right now and not be heavy handed. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me to not compare because I I will see anything that's gay. Like I even went and saw bros in the movie theater on opening weekend. And Billy Eichner is an emotional terrorist. So like, (laughs) I, (laughs) oh God, I'm going to get canceled for that one. but I, you know, it was, it's so lovely. And it's, I spend a lot of time, you know, we're both theater artists, we're storytellers. I spend a lot of time thinking about how badly adaptations go. Mm-hmm. Like we're living in a time where, you know, movies are becoming musicals and they're not always done really well. We can't have a Legally Blonde every time, apparently. I don't know why not, but here we are. Um And so it's something I think a lot about how they adapt, what they adapt. And that's kind of where the show has come from. So Mm. what were your feelings just as a viewer and also just as a storyteller and someone who thinks about telling story, what were, what feelings were you getting as you were partaking the source material? So as you were reading through the Mm -hmm. comics, now I know for us, this is going to be an interesting conversation because I did the comics first, then the show, you did the show, then the comics. Yeah. So as you've been reading through the comics this week, what, 
were those feelings that you were kind of tapping into most from that source material? I, I, the feeling that kept coming up and I, as, and it was very similar to how I felt while I was watching the show, but honestly, I think it deepened even more while I was reading because for me, honestly, it was good for me to see it first because since I'm like a visual person, Mm -hmm. it was it was easier for me to see like the characters that cause the casting in the show is brilliant. So brilliant. I could see every single character. Like I could like be, it was like I was watching it play out in my mind and I didn't have to concentrate on what they look like in my mind. Cause it was already there. It was already existed mm-hmm. in a world. So that made it easier for me to actually connect with it. So I was grateful I watched it. Um, but the feeling that I kept tapping into that I was just like, what? What is this feeling? It was like, is it melancholy? No, no, it wasn't. And sometimes, so I think the first time I watched it, I felt a lot of melancholy because I was sad for my younger self that I didn't have it. But now I'm like tapping. Now that I've kind of worked through that and been like, well, we can still enjoy it now. It's sometimes I'm like, don't think it's hot though when like two mm-hmm. minors are like, I'm just like that. When I'm a little like, I have to make sure that like, I'm not like, oh, this is hot. Like, no, this mm-hmm. is very pure. This is very pure mm-hmm. because it is. Um, and it's, and you're just like, I just want the best for them. Put them in a bubble and like, let them live their lives. But the feeling that I had, it's like this, it's like that feeling of butterflies. It's like that feeling of, um, of the of your first crush. Like I felt like mm-hmm. I was having a crush alongside them. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was I felt giddy and like I was just like, "Oh, I remember that feeling." Um I remember that feeling of like lying in bed and like just seeing all the text messages and 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 losing sleep and mm-hmm. just or on the phone call of like learning so much about the person you are falling in love with or um, mm-hmm. or, or like, or th- that feeling when you like steal a kiss in high school mm-hmm. and like, whole like all those feelings of like, oh my God, like what, what are these like raw kind of like urges that I have that I've never experienced before. And it's with someone I would never have expected me to have this experience with. And so I guess, yeah, I got melancholy in that way. Cause I was like, oh, I'll never. Yeah, it it was I did have that feeling of like like I felt like I was in their first crush with them and that was a beautiful way to evoke it with the with the leaves and the mm-hmm. and the the birds chirping like the soundscape of it just like put me in the world and like of the show and then I felt that just continue and just get even stronger in the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with you a 1000%. I so something that I argued with a lot of people of back when like Love, Simon was coming out and I devoured mm. that book first because I really wanted to know. And I think Becky Alberti did a beautiful job with that book. Yeah, it's a little, again, heavy handed in some place, fisted, if you will, ham fisted. But I think, and this is going to be, I'll probably bring it up a couple times, but um, I'm a big fan of Tricks, Mattel, and Katya. Hell yeah, me too. And they are, they they do the Queens Who Watch show for Netflix on YouTube. And you you sent me this video of them because uh. so many fans requested. And Trixie put it so beautifully. She's like, I'm tired of watching shows where teenagers have sex. 
I'm tired of watching these dark, terrible things happening to teenagers and just causing trauma. And so I was a little worried going into this that there was going to be very trauma inducing because there's like three ways to tell a queer story for a lot of people. Yeah. And they all have some sort of trauma. And I think generally there is very little in this and it's handled much better. Um, But like in Love, Simon, everybody was like, no, they would have fucked. And they were like, that's what I like about Call Me By Your Name. And I was like, well, let's unpack that comment because that was the same time Call Me By Your Name was coming. Yeah. And so there's a lot to unpack here. So I think I was apprehensive going into this because I was like, I want a low stakes, high stakes for them, low stakes for everybody. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say story that kind of grows with time because the the thing I like that I knew about Ozaman is with her writing um is that like because Charlie and Nick are part of the solitaire um universe but that's through Tori's perspective of them and we'll get to incredible ghost sister Tori very soon because I love that character I love her so um, much but that you know everybody on amazon if you read it they were like if you're a heartstopper fan don't read this this charlie is and it's because it's a different charlie that is charlie during charlie being bullied charlie that is a Mm. different charlie and so i was really worried about the kind of trauma aspects of it and then when i read it it was it was like a cinnamon bun it was like a warm hug Mm. like and i love so i'm gonna uh, it was cozy it is cozy. This is not, we're not sponsored, but if they want to sponsor us, wait, who, I forget, Scholastic, I think, does this. Um, we love but, your book oh, fairs. It, it is Scholastic. It is Scholastic. We loved your book fairs, even though they were kind of classist. Um, they just <laughs> released the Heartstopper yearbook. I'm holding it right here. You can't see it. And it's a companion is series. Is that the that Paris awesome- Squad? <laughs> uh, it is the Paris Squad. I love the Paris Squad. And so this goes through, and she gives every character like a yearbook page, superlative. She gives each of them a song that she identifies with their character. Mm-hmm. She gets one, but she talks about the yearbook that is like from when she started drawing Charlie and Nick back in 2013 mm. to how it became on Tumblr and going through and learning about the evolution of their characters and how. This version that's published, she redrew the entire series after Tumblr wow. and then continued it. And so that was really interesting to kind of see that for us, it's, you know, it's lower stakes for us, but like young love. But the nice thing is like when she was releasing through Webtoons and Tumblr, she would, she has, she's done a couple like one spot, just strips. That's like Charlie and Nick at 28 and 29 living mm. a wonderful life with a very old Nelly. Like it's one of those things, like it's just, it's, it's really sweet to know that like, we know there's a long term. and like in the solitaire series, she's published. I just bought it. It's a novella that's called Nick and Charlie and it's Nick graduating high school and Charlie being it's So it's them two years later. Yeah. And Charlie's going off to college. Nick isn't. And so it, it's really interesting to know that this author loves these two characters so much that they're there's no question in her mind that they are forever together forever which is something that is so as a highly anxious reader who Mm -hmm. gets hyper fixated on everything uh if you know me you know as soon as i read the series and watched it i ordered 40 stickers off redbubble and (laughs) had them on my phone and on my bottle um I made M and I shirts. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize you made that. Yeah, which you can buy on our Teespring. It's uh, so good. Proce- I love all it. The pro- all the proceeds are going towards charity. Um, and yeah, but it's you know it's just one of those that like uh, again because I came out and was young during the like 
phase where everybody was getting groomed in chat rooms. And so my mm-hmm. early experiences are very different than this. And I'm not sure I would have done well during experiences like this. I'm not sure this is the experience I would have even had. So it is really nice to know that like other people have this now and it's normalizing so much. And there's so much that's normalized. Like I love that. Like Charlie goes, you know, bisexuality exists, right? Um, <laughs> so I think for me taking, it was like a warm hug. It's a cinnamon bun. Everybody wants a friend like Nick Nelson. I want, yeah, I want like a friend like Nick Nelson. I, I mean, oh, I'm in, Nelson. I'm in love with Nick Nelson. Like, um, I'm just I, like, how can, also, uh, how can you not love L? Like I want to, mm. I want to hang out with Tara and Darcy, all their older versions of themselves, but like Darcy, I, it cracks me the fuck up. <laughs> I, I, I think they're all important. Tao is like all of my friends. So like, um, and Aled is sweet and uh, wonderful. And Aled, who is also Isaac, uh, who are two very different characters that I love both. Um, Isaac is an icon. Oh, Isaac. He's so good. He's so Oh, I and the actor is so good. I, oh, I can't wait so to talk good. about. And I'm hoping when we get to Paris that he really gets a lot because I we get we learn more about Isaac. But um, well, Aled, which I mean, it's the exact same thing. Um, so yeah, I think I just had really great feelings, and I was. I was excited because the reviews were so positive going into mm. Heartstopper and I hadn't seen a single negative review of the Netflix show. So everybody had been talking about it on social media. So I felt like there was like, I was going from one cloud to the next cloud when I yeah. took the jump. And so I have a question. Do you think the order that you took them in affected kind of how you um, embrace the adaptation? Cause I know you said you, you appreciated and liked that you did the show first than the, the comic. Um, how can you elaborate a little more about how you think that affected how you took in reading the comic? I think I was more invested. Mm-hmm. I think I was invested in where the stories were going to go. Um, and I'm deeply invested now. I'm like, mm-hmm. is five out? Like, are there any other versions? Cause I got, I, I read through <sighs> up to f- through four. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm very so in, so in M for everyone is referencing online. Sorry, Emma, I didn't mean to speak over you. Oh, so all the beautiful thing about Heartstopper is for anybody who hasn't read it, it is free on a website called Webtoon. It is published by Alice and Oz, uh, Alice Osman. She gets the money from it. Um, so the first the TV series is volumes one, two, and three of Webtoons, but in the published, it's volume one and volume two in the paperback or hardcover. Okay, because that's where um, I read it. Yeah, so we're up to I think seven and a half is they've gone up halfway through seven or she's finished seven um just because she i love alice osmond has been very upfront about how becoming famous with heartstopper has really negatively affected her her mm-hmm. mental health and it's affected that she hasn't been able to just like s- sit down and make the show she hasn't yeah. been able to sit and draw the comics so it is on hiatus for now it'll probably be on hiatus um until season two comes out which they just wrapped um because something that is really nice, and we'll get into it, she writes the Netflix series. Oh, wow. She is, she is the, she oversees the story. And it's the same director whose name is Eros, does every episode. So they, together with the producers, created it together. Wow. Which I think is why we're going to get into it, of why it's a cohesive yeah. adaptation. I'm sorry. So keep going. No, I just, I think, I for me and my reading style, it's very difficult for me to hello ADHD. It's very difficult unless I'm in a very certain type of hyper fixated place of, oh, I like reading now um, to get into it and to stay in it. And so to have, to have had the visual and like 
in my mind, I kind of had the soundscape and I knew what their voices sounded like, at least through the adaptation. Um, that like I just felt like I was watching these like I just felt like I was watching their lives unfold. Mm-hmm. And so I I I just and and it didn't feel clunky. You know, mm-hmm. like there was no clunk to it where it mm-hmm. – that's how I feel like it. it is a very good adaptation because it just was so – it felt so effortless to connect the two in my mind and to read through them so fast. Um, now that I'm like, oh, I'm going to go on online and read more and finish them, <laughs> finish whatever's out there because um, – yeah, I was just so invested in all of them. And um Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. I I have to say I'm glad I read the comic because it gave me a a I knew the whimsy and kind of etherealness that she was going towards that they then tapped into in mm. the show. Now, something that I will say that was because I read it, watched the show, watched the show, then I read it and then watched the show again. Reading it that second time, I went, oh, I forgot that we don't really spend too much time with the friends. Charlie's actually popular in the comic. Yeah, that was a little like, oh. And, okay. and um. It's a little more, the story is more succinct because she's just focusing on telling these two boys' story and that we only have the other people around when they need to be. Yeah. Where the show does what the show needs to do. It, you know, it expounds upon it. Now, they could have done it in six episodes. I'm glad they did it in eight because we got a little more drama because there's not really a dark, low moment in the comics until we get into Paris and beyond. Mm -hmm. Um, I will warn anybody some trigger warning when you're going into what will be happening in season two, which is coming this year. When you're reading volumes four, five, six, and seven, um, there is discussion of eating disorders, self harm, um, uh, uh, getting psychological help. So just be careful for yourselves, but I think it's handled so beautifully because there are also things that Alice Osman herself has experienced. And so I think that's, I get so, I'm so protective of Charlie and Nick because of I'm just I feel just so attached to them um but I kind of I'm so glad I read the comic first for me personally and going back I go oh I'm seeing all these other ways that we can tell the story now yeah that I really appreciate and you really get into once you're getting to Paris you get all the characters and they they knew where they were going to get to and so there's a lot of things like they pull the Alan Tao storyline into season one instead of saving it for season two because now we get to watch it grow in season yeah. two which I think is really important we get way more of Dar- Tar and Darcy which I think is very important um but okay so let's jump into our next question How do you think the creators of the show, so Netflix, um, the British production company, but also Alice and Eros and everyone that worked on it, how do you think they utilize the source material? I mean, I think since she was so involved with it in the Netflix show, um, it it, kind of seemed like for once Netflix kind of was just like, we trust you, do what you got to do and kind of like put their hands up to it. Um, because I don't feel sometimes it's kind of like, I mean, hey, is this show probably playing in China and other countries that are so anti-gay? No, but like, at least there's not. At least it's just like it is what it is, and it's like this is a story. This is a queer love story that is innocent and beautiful, like most teen love stories are, and um, 
and complicated and complex mm-hmm. and have like mm-hmm. hormones, but it's like when it when you first have a a crush, a crush is just a crush and it's lovely. It doesn't matter who you're crushing on. And um so for it to be unapologetic mm-hmm. like that and like there never felt like a moment when watching watching the show that I felt like how do I say this? Because honestly, some things I might say, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm still working on my own internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. So like, if anything comes out like that, like, feel free to be like, to check me on it. Um, but it's like, there was never a moment where I was watching the show where I went, oh, I can't believe they're showing this. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, oh, oh, this feels scandalous to watch. Like mm-hmm. that, like kind of voice in my head. That's like, this is still not right. You know, which is mm-hmm. such horseshit. Um, it just felt like I was watching any teen mm-hmm. non-traumatic <laughs> like mm-hmm. love story. It's not like watching a euphoria where you're like you're in turmoil oh watching God. it. Like I couldn't get through it. Even though like I understand that I understand that shows like Euphoria really help people who are experience like addiction in their families and stuff like that and they're like it was kind of cathartic but for me personally in the place that I was when I started watching it it was just far too much and I was just like I I can't I recognize that these problems are there and that it needs help but I was like it, I, I, I can't watch it I was like I'm just watching mm-hmm. trauma and I can't yep. watch it I just can't it's too heavy I their performances are incredible but I can't do it Um, And so when I had this like kind of slip into like my sphere, I was like, oh, like you said, it's a cinnamon bun. It was a it was a cloud. It was so nice to watch a queer story that like that was unabashedly queer, Mm -hmm. but then at the same time unabashedly normal and like boring in its own right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, like. It's so mundane in so many yeah, ways. Yeah. And like, I'm like, oh God, isn't that nice? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. can we, I don't know if one of your questions are about this, but can we also talk about the fact that this is the first, this is the first time ever that I've seen in anything queer of the adults mm-hmm. being the most supportive mm-hmm. way that like an adult can be supportive of like, Oh, nothing uh-huh. nothing was like um what's the word nothing was like um talking down to or minimizing mm-hmm. everything was like how can i ho- support you how can i hold space for you the only mm-hmm. one that was throwing shade was the other queer care other queer adults that were mm-hmm. like you're dumb <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's stupid <laughs> like i love Which that I, I do i love the exasperated art teacher he's like this is not what Charlie Spring, I'm giving you, and Charlie's like, give me something easier. And he's like, life isn't easy, kid. I don't know what to say. You know, it's like, I love him. Also, I, I'm so excited for him, for, huh. the, for, for, for Paris. For I'm so Perry. excited for him, for Paris. For Perry. I was uh, like. Um, but also, the one when we learn more about Coach Singh is going to be really important because mm. she's a gay character as well, which yeah. is why I love her. I love her character of of not all gay people are bad at sports, Charlie. And then I was just like, I was like, <laughs> gay, 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 gay. <laughs> yeah. Also, like people of color. Also, something. Yeah. Um, 
I this fills the same boxes for me that Dairy Girls does. Yes. Except Dairy Girls is more funny. This is more actual, like real life. That's but so it's one true. of those things that it's yeah, it's it's just so life isn't traumatic. But I find a lot of the UK shows about teenagers, other than like skins, mm-hmm. like there was the show that Olivia Coleman also played mom to a gay character called uh, Beautiful People about Simon Doonan. Um, that was very dramatic at times, but it was like dramatic because he was a dramatic person. Um, mm-hmm. But it's one of those things that they a lot of times they tell teen stories and let teens be as sloppy or as whatever as they want without making it Riverdale or euphoria. I think Americans have this obsession with showing high schoolers that are cooler than you'll ever be as an adult. And I think this is way more tapped in. And and American shows, we glamorize trauma. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We glamorize it to the point where it's like, it it almost makes it seem like these instances don't actually happen mm-hmm. where it's like well, tapping into like, sorry, but I just want to get this no, thought no, out, like ahead, tapping like, into go, like go. Heartstopper. It's like we kind of touched on it earlier where in the, in this world, this is their entire world. So of course mm-hmm. everything's out of 10, but us older watching it on the outside are like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. But like, but then there are big issues like Mm -hmm. mental health and that's nothing to joke about. That's Mm -hmm. nothing to be like, oh, to minimize, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, absent parents that like don't parent the way they should be parenting. Nick's dad. Nick's dad. Uh, Charlie's mom not being able to communicate Mm -hmm. with him when he really needs help. Mm -hmm. Like, and having a sensitive dad that like doesn't, we don't get to see a lot of that. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, it. And, and a dipshit of a brother that reminds me too much of someone mm-hmm. in my life that I was like, mm-hmm. that is why I haven't come out to that person and mm-hmm. may, probably never will. And like, you know, it's just, it's so, there's such a nice balance in both the books. I mean, especially in the books, because getting further into it, it's just like, they handled this. Yeah, I agree. There are some moments where it is a little heavy handed with the language, but it's just like, that's the time we live in until it becomes more normalized mm-hmm. to like just talk about things that are hard to talk about. Like it's going to be clunky at first, but like, um, you know, it, it was so nice that like we could experience hardship mm-hmm. and challenging times without like glamorizing the pain and the, mm-hmm. the trauma mm-hmm. of it all. Absolutely. I think I think it's because American creators are between our age groups and they think that it is a badge of honor to have been traumatized more than someone else and it makes <laughs> you a better person. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that the UK creators, everybody else, but I think especially the people who are privileged enough to be making media in America, mm-hmm. um, their trauma tends to take center stage. Now, for me, I think the most succinct thing that they did with the show was embrace that it started as a graphic novel and Mm -hmm. not as a book yeah it feels visual it feels like multimedia um the soundtrack of this is so important oh it's so so it's so good um i thought music was a bigger part of the the graphic novels but it's because on in the in the printed version of it, the published version, every once in a while she'll be like, Oh, I was listening to this song during this time. And there they like gives you songs to like scan and listen to while you're reading, which I love. Um, and then music is obviously a huge point because it's in the yearbook. Um, I'm probably going to reference the yearbook a lot. Um, 
but I think embracing, so a lot of shots are framed like a comic. Mm-hmm. Um, they really embraced all the digital media that they use, like the, oh, uh, the, the leaves, which is so important. I, yeah. It's a motif. It's a motif that is so important to the graphic. So it was the fact that they just went, well, let's have it in the show. Because also, isn't that what we envision teen love to be like? Yeah, like, it's that, that is feeling. What, that is what new love feels like. Um, like, also embracing that the show is lit like a comic cell is shaded mm-hmm. um especially anytime nick is on screen uh kit connor owes those men the world because kit connor is so handsome um with his little freckled face but they he's such a labrador it's he's so such true. a labrador um Though I only have the smallest complaint about the casting, and we will get to it. It's the literal smallest thing, and it's just something that I pick up on Nick in the comics that they didn't stick to, but it's fine because Kit Connor is doing God's work, and the poor boy is being bullied online, and uh, may all of his enemies burn. I'm just like, y'all literally did what happened to Charlie, like, to Kit Mm -hmm. Connor. (laughs) And and I love that he called him out. He's like, y'all are worse than the bullies in the book. Like, Yeah. He's like, clearly you you missed that. Um, I think Joe Locke, who plays Charlie, is dating the actor who plays Ben in real life because they're super chummy. Oh, and I love super, that. It's super, it's super cute. Yeah, because they've and all I've, been. Yeah. And, and like I've Kit seen interviews. Oh, mm-hmm. I've seen interviews with the with uh the with the guy who plays um Ben, and he's mm-hmm. he's such a, like he's a hard and fast activist. He's like yeah. You you have to have a good human being play such a. A oh, tough yes. role. And like, mm-hmm. oh, can we talk about Ben for a second? Because Ben, it's like, mm-hmm. he. There, how many people are Ben? How many times have we been Ben in our lives but just didn't go to the extent that Ben did? Mm-hmm. And like, Ben is troubled. Ben's behavior is never okay. And mm-hmm. he's fucked up and an, an abuser. That's the road it goes oh, yeah. down. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just like the fear it's just based out of fear and it's based out of of just internalized homophobia mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. there's so many needs in his life that aren't being met but i'm so happy that charlie like sticks up for himself and 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 puts his foot mm-hmm. down and ah uh. yeah I yeah I think it's really important and it is something interesting that when they were looking at the kind of breadth of how you tell a story in film because in the comic I think I said it earlier is that we only see other people when we need to see other people Mm -hmm. um and in this they understood the scope of the world needed to be bigger especially if you're hiring background actors you better be paying this principal actor because you're paying them whether they're in the scenes or not Mm -hmm. so um i i think that was one of those that they understood what the source material was and needed to make it larger yeah but and again you talked about netflix earlier i think this is a situation where um i think it's second sky tower sky is the production company they made the show and then netflix bought it oh okay so netflix is just paying for it and taking a clout for it because clearly this was netflix did not meddle this is not yeah. a netflix stranger Things situation oh okay um that's good to know and um you know, it's, it is, I, I think it also helped having Alice on board. I know that was a situation. Oh, also just a fun little bit, you know, in the last, the last episode when they're going to the shore and their mm-hmm. date, um, they're on the train. There's a woman next to them who's drawing and that's Alice. Oh, that's Alice Osmond. shut up. And she literally go on her Instagram because she shared while they were shooting, she was drawing Charlie and Nick. 
she was doing a full color photo of them. And so she shared it. Oh, it's literally, oh, and it might be, it might be in the book here. Hold on. I'm going to cut this out if it's not. Yeah, it might not be actually. I don't know. Uh, it's here somewhere. Oh, it's oh, lots of cuteness. Oh, it's so adorable. Them all together. Um, oh, yes. This is great because there's two little mini comics about the two male teachers <gasps> and their relationship. It's in here, too. It's so good. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of little extra comics. It's it's wonderful. It's available at all booksellers, but go to your local bookseller to get it. So let's move over because I think their strengths are actually all of the changes that they made mm. in uh, I think what makes the show successful is the ad additional material and characters, so which normally we don't say. So let's jump in. Um, I'm, we're going to talk about key changes that were made to the source from the source to the screen. I want to talk about the first one for me. And I don't, it wasn't a big deal. I think it is interesting that they changed Aled to Isaac. Yeah. Um, now Aled is a character in Tori's books before he's friends with Charlie. There's okay. a whole book. So in episode four, the blue book that Isaac is reading is Aled's solitaire novel. It's this, it's this, yeah, it's so cute. I also, I'll share on our social media, but there's a Google drive. Somebody put together a Google article of all the books Isaac is reading during the show. <laughs> That's pretty great. I, I mean, I know in this series, Aled is like, Norwe like Norwegian, D Danish, something like that. And so, but the actor who plays Isaac is not white. I'll just, we just say that he is curvier bodied too. Mm -hmm. I think uh, he, he's over 18. So I don't feel creepy saying this, but I think he's ridiculously adorable. He um, is. So I love cute. his smile. Uh, I'm going to say something controversial because we're pretty sure that Joe Locke is now going to play Wiccan in uh, Scarlet Witch's son in the MCU. Shut up. He got cast in a role in House of Harkness. There is no way that he's not playing Billy because he looks identical to him in the comic. And everybody's like, Kit Connor needs to play Hulkling, his boyfriend. And I was like, no, the actor who plays Isaac needs to play him. But yeah. I will go into that on our social media. But <laughs> I think I think it was a little change. But Isaac is also the all-seeing eyes and all-listening ears of the friend group. Yeah. And I think he's the one... He's such a stalwart, wonderful character um, who gets a lot of development, too. I think they play him very openly queer in the series as well. I, like very I open. picked that up. I love that, that yeah. he's just smile. I love that he's just smiles and fully supportive of everybody. I think it's a yeah. it was a subtle change that was really important. Yeah. Now, the biggest change M that I want to talk about is Imogene. <gasps> who is the yeah. added character for this series. Now, I will I say. I totally forgot I about her. <laughs> I was really happy. I didn't mind her character, though she annoyed me with her chunky fucking front pieces, which is so my generation of people. She was giving just but, so much like Kelly Clarkson in two thousand seven. Yeah, but we all know that we all know that girl. We had a friend. We've been friends with that girl, or we've been that girl. I've been but that girl. Oh, <laughs> what? I was worried. I can I tell you? I was at the gym and watched the episode where. It's the rugby match, and mm -hmm. she asks him out, and he says yes. And I yeah. said, no, this is not what we're doing. This is not how we're telling this bisexual story. This is not what we're doing. They've done yeah. so good so far. And then in episode five, they immediately rectify it. And I was like, okay, never mind. This was handled yeah. so beautifully. So what for you was it like, when did you realize that she wasn't in the comic when you were reading? I didn't. It was until yeah. you literally just said it. I went, oh, right. So <laughs> like I completely yeah. forgot about her. 
so let's so like i i we've kind of mentioned earlier there's l- less dramatic things in the first volume if you will yeah. of the the comic we get there we get to the kiss we get to them as boyfriends that's where we need to be um i love they kept in a lot of that stuff that's like uh nick on the the laptop watching the youtuber all those little things and i know a lot of people are like do do people actually do that and i was like yes i think they do because there's so many of us that think it's just an ingrained part of society now that we all know all these things we take for granted that nick probably hasn't even thought twice about this and so some of these things like we as queer people always think about it but like as somebody like nick didn't so the, the but also int- like but also like let's even go in deeper where i think at least for me personally like i didn't know much about the bi community i still don't know a lot about the bi community i'm still learning because like the amount of times when i was figuring out my sexuality and had the space, emotional space, and the privilege to do that during the pandemic. You know, I wasn't watching my children or anything like that, like running around or anything. Like mm-hmm. I could just kind of sit in the feelings that I was suppressing. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know the difference between – I still struggle with the difference between pansexual and bisexuality. I, you know, like – and how like – so bisexuality is the umbrella and I'm like I didn't know all this so I would be googling this kind of stuff I would be like looking on YouTube videos for people who identified and and are bisexual just to like break it down I had to like the the amount of conversations I had with other queer friends to be to like try to understand that like there's there's this incredible creator called um is it Caprice on Instagram who is um, – they call themselves the the bi fairy godmother where it was like they break down so many different sections of bisexuality mm-hmm. of like – that I was like I still am trying to learn. So like when people make fun of that, I got a little like, well, no, but like me as a, as a later in life person coming out, like I definitely did that because in media we see – we still – we're starting to get more of it now but like – especially earlier in the aughts and like the later 2019s and stuff like that. But like there was only gay, Mm -hmm. which was usually white gay male um, or lesbian. And you hardly even saw lesbians anywhere unless it was for the male gaze. And so like, unless you were specifically watching queer, um, Mm -hmm. queer media, which when you grow up in a Catholic home that like, we don't talk about Bruno, mm-hmm. um, you're not watching queer media. You're watching, mm-hmm. you're watching mainstream, whatever's there so that it's safe to watch. So that if someone comes in, you don't have to click away really fast. Mm-hmm. So I kind of am mm-hmm. only just starting to dip my toe in queer media and queer books and stuff like that, where I don't need to be afraid that someone's looking over my shoulder. So like mm-hmm. I get that Nick is sitting on his laptop probably clearing his history to be like, I don't want people to know what I'm looking for because mm-hmm. I can't figure mm-hmm. it out for myself yet. And so I really resonated with that. I, I think probably I re- resonated more with that in the show because mm-hmm. seeing him in the in the darkness with the light on and mm-hmm. like clicking away or like not knowing what to watch for the movie and like that mm-hmm. scene in Pirates of the Caribbean, I was like, I had that same fucking feeling watching that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, who do I like? And so it was, if, it's so if interesting. If they were any older, it would have been the mummy. If it, they were any older, they would have been the mummy. <laughs> and, oh my God, you're so right. Because my my nether regions tingled. That's how I knew it. You were right. <laughs> like, 
Oh my God, you're so right. You're so right. Yeah. Yeah. I still don't so, know who I love more than that in film. <laughs> I, uh, I think also as a, ca- a character like Imogene's is written so often that she is going to be mm-hmm. the scapegoat. She's going to be the lame duck. She's going to be the one sacrificed. And I think she has the biggest character arc out of everybody in the show. Yeah. And I really appreciate because they even with the little smile and like nod and look to Nick in that last episode. Yeah. And she's like, she gets it. Like there are she all those it. moments that she gets. And I think I'm excited to see her with the friend group in Paris. Ooh, I'm yeah. really excited about that. Cause we're also going to have the other girl from, from Higgs, which is going to be exciting. Um, but I think Imogene, because they could have, because I'm sorry, we need to talk about the genius writing. That is the scene where ally. she comes up to, uh, where she comes up to, yes, I'm an ally. ally. <laughs> I'm not homophobic. I'm, I'm not an homophobic. ally. I'm not homophobic. Also the dialects in this are so good. So I know it's good. like their dialects, but, um, yeah, when she's just like, I need to know if you're into Nick Nelson. And she's like, no, literally. And Darcy's like, I'm literally right here. <laughs> and then just Elle being delightful and quiet. Um, thank, for, thank you for your service. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for your service. Oh, my God. That scene, it was so, that, is, that is good writing. This the, show is also excellent writing. It's yeah. actually conversationalism. It's yeah. just quippy enough because, yes, gay people are quippy. We are quippy. We, we, it's all that trauma bond. We, mm-hmm. we, we, nobody can make fun of us in a room if we're dominating the social energy. Oh, if we are the stars, it's like, I mm-hmm. fucking dare you to bring me down right now. And, and so I think she was a really actually smart put in in the fact that they didn't the fact that they let Nick immediately be like, oh my God, I fucked up so bad. Yeah. Now, I also think it's important because in the comic, Tao is kind of a twat and we don't understand why. We're just like, wow, everybody has bad friends except Elle. Elle is lovely and Alad is great. But I was like, Nick's two friends are shitty. Charlie's friend Tao is shitty. But okay. But I think giving him Imogene in this actually raised those stakes for him to corner Charlie at his birthday. Yeah, yeah. There are those mo- and there and it because Nick is never made fun of in the book, and he they really amp up. I think it was also this is going to go hand in hand. Making Charlie not popular and a loner was really important. Yeah, because I think they're so all too. the art. They're all the art school kids. Like yeah. it's important that they like bond together. And they're they the do. art freaks, you know. Yeah, like... I, Isaac's the Isaac's the writer. Elle's the artist. Tao's the filmmaker. Charlie's the musician. Like mm-hmm. they are. They are the quintessential little quad pair. Um, Where it makes sense that the... they don't play sports yes. because they're like, oh, it doesn't yeah. feel like a safe space, and yeah, and so it makes sense why. When Nick decides to like, it's such a paradigm shift for him of mm-hmm. like going into that world where people are like, what the fuck? Like when you're so used to clicks, like mm-hmm. being just like the main form of interaction where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you can do more than one thing. Like it, mm-hmm. it made, I think that made more sense in the show because um, yeah, having him be popular I was just like, oh, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. was like, mm. with with that, I understand because then the the comic started, you know, almost a decade ago. Yeah. Um, more or less. They bring up very quickly the Ellis trans in the comic. And in the show, they just 
talk about Alice. She is. And they go, oh, she goes, she used to go to our school. She now goes to the girl's school. And you put two and two together because nobody's dumb. And they have an actual trans actress playing Elle, which I think is wonderful. She's fantastic. So she's in the new season of Doctor Who coming up as one of the companions i'm very excited um and so those are those little changes nuanced in their friend group that i i thought that pointed out to me the most now i didn't even really think about it till i read the comic again the second time there's no ollie in the show nick's or uh, charlie's little Little brother. brother right and do you really notice a difference without him? Did did you think he added anything more to their story other than doing cute vignette moments? I thought he added a little bit. I mean, later, mm-hmm. when we get to like later in the source material, I feel like having an extra like, because he's kind of like the puppy of their family, right? Yeah. Like he's kind of like. Yes. So I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. oh. He didn't add that much to their – it's not like he, like, added to their relationship or to, like, the yeah. friend group. But it was nice to see, like, an extra support in Charlie's family, especially when we find out that, like, mom is hard to communicate with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Charlie has just a hard time explaining his emotions to anyone who's not Nick. And even and even with Nick, it's hard for him to explain his emotions mm-hmm. too. I did love that scene where Ollie's actually the like first one who has to keep their secret. And yeah, having the little brother have to keep your secret. I think it's interesting. I loved that they kept that Tara and Darcy are the first people that Nick tells. I think it's really smart. Um, but I think generally, kind of moving on, is there anything else kind of looking uh, between the two that you thought? was an interesting key change between the source material and what actually made it to screen? Maybe not. I I mean, I keep thinking about Tao and how in the, but this also just may have been direction. Like I felt like in the, in the, not in the novel, in the graphic novel, he was, he didn't feel as like heavy. Yeah. Like in the show, he felt very heavy. Mm -hmm. Like his, like, I don't want to say the words like, aggressive or anything like that because i think that his character is just so fiercely loyal and like but like to a fault and um i didn't get that as much in in the novels i felt like he was a very good friend um and maybe sometimes careless with like how loud he might be Mm -hmm. and divulging things Mm -hmm. that he doesn't want other people to hear but like in in the show i was just like oh i i want to like i want to i want to hug him like, I want him mm-hmm. to just be able to, like, unwind a little bit. He's so wound up and, like, about to pop um, mm-hmm. that, like, in some ways – no, I don't want to say that. I don't even want to put that out there. But, like, he's he's he gives kind of, like – because he has friends and he has community, I don't think mm-hmm. he is, like, like an incel-type character. Mm-hmm. But in the show, oh, he no. kind of gives mm-hmm. off those vibes of, like – the way he's so wound up about things mm-hmm. and his friends and about things not changing. But I'm like, there are people that are like, that are so fiercely loyal like that, that when things change, it, it makes them very anxious. But like, mm-hmm. at least he has a supportive community around him that gets yeah. him. But yeah, I did find that his character to me felt very different in the books than in the show. Yeah. He's very much more the protector and doesn't understand that that's his role. Like mm-hmm. he wants to protect his friends. Also, I think it's that, 
I love that they stick with the idea that Tao is straight and he's not queer, which I think is important when we're going to discuss that, like, he and Al are going to end up together. Like, that's just, that's not a spoiler. They set it up in this. Yeah. Um, because then that doesn't lead to the awkward conversation of how we project trans people. Because mm-hmm. um, he does say, as your resident straight friend, and I'm like, oh, that's so cute. And I love that Isaac, like, rolls his eyes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they did flesh him out more. They used him more. And I think that was necessary. Yeah. Also, making him the obnoxious film kid made the most sense to me. Yeah, that and that made the most sense. That is his, like, maybe that's what I'm kind of feeling more that I'm like, it is heavy, but like, he's also just got so much heady knowledge of artistic mm-hmm. films that like he wants to use mm-hmm. that language so he's like sounds so much older than his age like he sounds like he's oh, from yeah. like the 19th century sometimes when you're like what mm-hmm. the hell <laughs> what are you saying? i love the stupid hair flip that they gave him too with the beanie like the, that the is dumbest hair. wild it's the best thing ever it's so i love his mom too we never meet his mom in the comics but i love his mom in i love his show. mom in the show and just that how much she embraces l and she clearly sees that something is there too um that's why i said I, every every adult in the show there is not one adult that is judgmental mm-hmm. shows signs of racism um homophobia like mm-hmm. there is nothing that mm-hmm. comes across like that and it's like I'm, have we ever had a show like that i don't think we have uh no especially with the utter perfection that is olivia coleman as mrs nelson oh uh, the uh. the acting choices of constantly scrolling on an ipad is like pure brilliance <laughs> so good. she's you, always you like yeah also, nikki <laughs> you can also tell that she took this as like a comfort job but also as a project she really cares about yeah because that woman is an oscar nominee she had been an oscar nominee at the point that she got cast in the show but these are the shows that she's always kind of done also it's just very much the the british kind of actor thing like and i thought she was just such lovely casting i love that i also didn't really know who the fuck anybody else was it doesn't Mm. matter it's fine it tells the story so well um there weren't many other changes and i think all the ones that they did was like adding um adding the like sports day was smart because they needed to put a little more time in putting the double date in. i think was smart um do you think all the changes they put in were effective think so me too yeah i don't think nothing stood out that i i think if i had if if i watched the show again after reading Mm -hmm. i'd go oh that's different but nothing in the nothing i was Mm -hmm. reading how do i say it nothing i was reading made me go oh i miss why didn't they put why isn't this in the book so like anything that they added i was like oh it just made the story even better Yes, I agree. I think this is one of those situations where, you know, because with webtoons and like web comics, you go as simple as possible in storytelling because that is the easiest way. You don't want to clutter it up because mm-hmm. comics, especially if you're like a Marvel or DC fan, you know how much dialogue can clutter up. You really want to be able to tell everybody what you can. And um, Osman has that art and the ability to do it. So I think, I think this is also the prime example of how you should always have a creator um and the writer in the room with you because mm. also because alice was just most 
most caring about telling her story and yeah. these these two character stories in a way that is respectful, gratifying. And I think it is sweet. I think it is simple. And I think they did a beautiful job. I think this is a gold standard for how to adapt, especially yeah. a graphic novel or a comic. Um, Agreed. Now, now here's the question that we kind of already answered, but this is where we can talk about casting and stuff. Do you think the creatives as a whole, like the money people, have a grasp on the world of the source material and the characters that are living in it in this particular situation? I don't know. Um, kind of back to what I was saying earlier, it's like if they don't know, they're doing a good job of keeping their hands away and just letting the people who know it do the job. But if they do know and they are in support, they're doing a really great job. Yeah. yeah, I think everybody from the casting, I think the, okay, so this is where I'm going to say yes, because let's talk about the design of this show for a second. The mm -hmm. lighting design. Beautiful. The fact that this show was only nominated for children's and family Emmys and not for the regular Emmys or Golden Globes is a crime. It's because there's no trauma. It's because yep. there's no trauma. Um, I love that a lot of people got the performance nominations and everything, but like the art department, like a, let's talk about the Harry's birthday. In the oh hotel. my God. The lighting. There's literally a Incredible. thing that's, that's called bisexual lighting. I know. I love it. The purple, the purple, blue and, and pink, but also when they flipped between that and then using the rainbow in a way mm -hmm. that wasn't contrived in that story, but then also making Charlie, they still gave Joe in those moments as Charlie in isolation, the same green color that the books have yep. because the books are done in green. When he's like um, all up in his thoughts. Yep. I yeah. love that they kept the vans and the converse because mm -hmm. there's such a, there's such a smart part of that. Also what boys don't wear van and converse. I mean, the backpack stayed the same and they made it green in the show. So it's again, it's that callback to Alice's comic. I think they just wanted this to serve the story so beautifully. Yeah. I think everybody involved just understood what they were doing. The rooms. They understood. The, the bedrooms. Perfection with that little, the, with the fact that Charlie only ever uses his computer, his cell phone, and the neon music light mm -hmm. for light in his room or the natural light, they really did a lot of beautiful fake natural light in this. Also, the use of, oh, my favorite is the um, the sunset colors and the lightning when Nick holds his hand over Charlie's for the first time. It's so good. <laughs> it's oh, so it's good. so good. It's oh. so good. Also, and then using the hearts for Ellen Tao, mm -hmm. and they set them up early. And just uh, again, there's so I love. There's so much that can be said for what's not being said, and the actress who plays L. Mm -hmm. says so little in some scenes but says so much the same with the actor who plays isaac um and the actress who plays tori which is utter perfection i now, love her tori tori so is the protagonist of the solitaire series it is about tori it's it's kind of a nancy drew mm. kind of thing like it is an actual mystery thing we also meet michael who will come in later who is her boyfriend who is part of the comics later on um but one, the actress looks just like the drawing. It's eerie. Wild. It's this. That's the Scott Pilgrim casting over again with Aubrey Plaza and and uh, Anna Kendrick looking yeah. just like their comic counterparts. But she's so good. I love that she literally swoops in and <laughs> well, is she's always just sipping something. I know. And she I'm... has the blunt bangs. 
can okay. It's true. It's true. Okay, can Emma, I just keep say that I should be cast her. <laughs> in in okay, listen. I think Heartstopper <laughs> would make a beautiful musical. Oh, be gorgeous. And I think you'd be great, Tori. I think listen, it'd be lovely. I think it'd be lovely. Listen, I'm agree. It's true. I agree. I think it I think it would I think it would succeed in the ways that everybody's talking about Jamie faltered. I mm. think it would be lovely. I think also if they went with more of a contemporary soft rock sound like the soundtrack, mm. but still make it catchy, still make it upbeat, I think would be lovely. And to give Nick's mom a really great song. Oh, yeah. I think it'd be lovely. I think Tori would be such a fun character because she wouldn't even necessarily have to sing anything, but she just having just her pop up pop in different up. places. I love that people who didn't know that it was a comic thought Tori, the conspiracy theory online is that Tori's dead. And that oh she's a ghost. And I was like, y'all need to read the goddamn comics. And also, like, do you not know someone like that that just, like, pops in? You're like, oh, we, fuck. <laughs> we all have a spooky bitch that overhydrates. We all have that. As we both hydrate. <laughs> it's true. I also love that they leaned in that, like, the actress naturally has a little bit of, like, deep deep set bags under her yeah. eyes and i love i love that they just kind of embraced her natural beauty because one mm-hmm. she's beautiful she has this giant emotive eyes she is she's just such a wonderful type yeah um i think every also talking about joe Locke is cute but he his ears are big he yeah. has a unibrow he is an unusual like his hair is too big for his but like i think he is adorable i think he wears clothing beautifully like he is a fashion icon i will say that cast doing their promo tours has worn some of the most incredible clothing they all look so good it's rude um, it's quite rude and it's it's quite it's quite rude actually i'm, I'm actually, sitting here in my rude. i'm sitting here rude. in my my cozies, my oh, big yeah. ass blanket sweatshirt. Yeah, I'm in my eight dollar Walmart crew neck and my my velveteen little sleeper shorts. Like, oh, yes. you know, oh yeah, they were great. A great torrid find on clearance, even though they're still too expensive because it's torrid and they're awful. <laughs> but I think I just think uh, now. Okay, this is my only complaint about Kit Connor, and okay. it's because I, to me. And Alice Osmond draws Nick, especially in volumes four, five, six, and seven. When we see Nick with his shirt off, Nick has a belly. Nick has a little mm. bit of a belly. He's not like he has muscular arms, but he has a rugby boy body. Yeah, he's a rugby like, lad. He's he's a, he's a he's a himbo. Nick is a golden mm. retriever himbo. So he's he's like a little soft in the midsection, soft in the chest, big arms, big booty, and. That's what his character is in the comic. Now, Kit Connor has a flawless body. He has an eight pack if nobody's ever seen him without a shirt on. Like he's incredibly handsome. <laughs> the freckles, the freckles are everything. I love his little ginger hair. I just want to like, I just uh, want to like shake his face and be like, "You're so cute." <laughs> I want to protect him. Oh, also I a bunch him of at them all are, costs. A bunch of them are all in a play together on the West End right now. A bunch of that cast are all in a play together, and I was like, oh, "I want to go see it." That I know, it. I know. Um, I know it's at least Joe Locke, the actress who plays Elle, and the actor who plays Ben, I believe, are all in the play together. It's there, they're during a jury, it's a student council thing, it's a very dramatic piece. Um, someone's probably screaming out at me at home, but I think so. That's my only little complaint because everybody's like, Wow, two little white twinks, and I was like, Okay, except Charlie is literally a little chaos twink, that is the whole point of Charlie, yeah, like that is it. But I was like, But like, Kit also feels 
like he is Nick a thousand percent. Like, but he yeah. also brings a lot of, he brought this worry and this like heaviness to Nick that Nick doesn't have in the comic that I do think Nick needs to have. So I think, I think just in my humble little gay opinion, I think this is the best example of embodying the world of your source material that I've ever seen. One yeah. Of the best, there's just a way the that best. there's a really, there's a really nice subtle way that Kit Connor brings that level of this challenging time is my entire world, but mm-hmm. doesn't make it like mm-hmm. trauma bondy. Like mm-hmm. it's, and I think it's honestly the way that like he uses his breath in a scene. Yes. Like uh-huh. it's the way he like purses his lips and like, like I'm like, he's like the way he captures like bottling it all up before mm-hmm. he finally lets it out. And then you can hear it in the way that he speaks where it's like, there's so much exhale every time he like mm-hmm. laughs once he like starts getting more comfortable with Charlie and like and and loosening up and being who he is that like the moments that he does hold his breath I I'm like I notice more I'm like what's wrong like something's wrong because you can tell just like it's it's the way that he uses his breath that kind of bring mm-hmm. that that weight to a situation so I'm not that I'm excited to see, like, because because yeah. it gets it will get so heavy uh, in the next season. But like, I'm really interested. Just as a viewer, I'm like, I mm-hmm. am so interested to see how they bring this real and challenging time yeah. in so many people's lives, like, to the screen, and um, and how as like, I think it will also be interesting to see what they do acting wise, because like. I don't know about you, but reading it, I kept being like, oh, yes, okay, first love, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. very, very sweet. But also, like, this is starting to get real codependent and unhealthy Mm -hmm. in some ways. That's why I was Mm -hmm. so happy in the book when um, Nick's mom was just like, you can't fix him. Like, she had that beautiful – oh, my God, that was like when I was crying reading it where it was like her whole monologue, but you're seeing all of the other, like, Mm -hmm. lives of – the friends go in and out of how like yep. that's why I was like I cannot wait to see this on screen and I'm yep. going to cry so hard when we hear this beautiful monologue from Olivia oh, yeah. and like and we I because I think it's the whole point of the monologue is about codependence and how it's just like you need to live mm-hmm. your own lives and he needs to figure out how to help himself in um yep. and you can be there for him but you can't yep. fix him you can't do this work for him and like so it was just so beautiful to read that so emma's alluding to something that's in the next volume of the comic that if you don't want something spoiled for you oh, skip ahead a little okay. bit because i do want to i know i just want to talk about something that i didn't realize they set up till later okay um after when i rewatched the series the second time i went oh i see what they're doing oh yeah, yeah so yeah. go ahead go ahead and jump forward maybe probably a minute minute and a half but in the series what they did a really good job with that they only do once in the comic is setting up Charlie's eating disorder from mm-hmm. the beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, every time that he's like, he'll look at his food and then put it down. And it is that really important moment where he talks about that his food is the only thing he can control. And that's such a powerful moment. And I do love that whole Nick's because the beautiful thing is going to be Kit Connor in that first half being like, wow, the biggest 
issue Nick ever had is now gone and he can live his life freely and he's going to be so bright and up. And then as Joe is kind of, kind of pulled down and re- recessed, yeah. I'm really, I'm really excited to see that journey between the two of them. And then also see kind of how all the other friends kind of partake with that too. Cause I really think that Imogene is going to be somebody that Nick goes to mm-hmm. as, as a friend. I don't think they're ever going to give us that. Cause it's even when they, allude to wanting to break up or be apart they're still nick and charlie and they'll yeah. always be nick and charlie so i'm not worried about them doing that to us yeah but i do think i think they're really open to us having a really good strong conversation about eating disorders especially in men mm-hmm. and emotional damage because nick we're also going to be seeing nick going through stuff with his brother and nick's dad showing up at we some bet point. that brother so. situation like <gasps> I can't I was, wait to see who I can't wait to see who plays his brother. I know. I cannot wait to see who. It's it's soon. It's coming soon because they've already started doing the press for season two. They've already started because they wrapped last month before yeah. Christmas. So I'm sure they're gonna do some reshoots. But I think yeah, I'm really now so M, this is a kind of transition us to that one of our last questions. Cause I think I have the last question for us, which is what was brought to the adaptation that was different from the source material that added to enrich the world. I'm going to, th- I think it's the design. Mm. The design was what was missing. And I think it's the lighting and sound. I think it's that soundtrack. The soundscape. Really for sure. This world for us. Um, and because music is a big portion for all of them. Um, and I think it's just the lighting and stuff too. I, I think really from now on, I think, and I think Alice knows this too, that we almost need the comic to go full color in yeah. many ways but i do i think it was things so ultimately we're not saying asking if something is good or bad i always like to have the effective or ineffective so does this story work effectively and successfully in its new medium as a television show absolutely I it's agree. extremely uh, effective mm-hmm. um like i think the fact that i've watched the series maybe four or five times now since it's mm-hmm. come out like, mm-hmm. and now I'll just have it on the background as I'm doing other things in my home. Like it's yep. just come, it's a, it's a blanket. It's a comfort show. It's such a good comfort show. And I think more people need to, to do. I, I agree with you a thousand percent. Again, I'm still going to push that. I think this would be a fun musical. So let's do But it. like, my question is, is like, if we did it as a musical, it kind of it, it reminds me kind of like of the Bridgerton idea, right? Where it's just like, yeah. well, then what part of the musical do we do? Do we just do them like, mm-hmm. like do we get into the deep shit? Do we get into, you I know, like kind of think, I think it should just end with the beach. I think it should end mm. with, I think, and then I think it could you end with the idea that like Tao and Elle are are getting together. I think you give them that. I think you end with a great big. I don't want to say dear Evan Hansen moment, but you end with that great big moment of like, I'm yours. You are mine. Cause Nick does that ridiculous screaming that I'm your boyfriend. And yeah. You're mine. And like, and I think that's a beautiful highway to end it because as far as we know, their story. And as far as Osmond goes, their story continues forever. They will oh. always be Nick and Charlie and that's okay. Like, I think that is because also if you think about it, think about that as the ability as a, as a high school accessible musical, mm-hmm. a college accessible musical, I just think it could be incredible. Yeah. But I think you just tell like the season one. You yeah. just do the season one. 
you yeah you, like i think it's there i think i think it i think it's our new non-traumatic bear i think it's the new version of bear mm. that we need yeah bear is too much trauma now bear is too much trauma written is too much trauma it's too much we don't need we don't need traumatic gay stories no more dying no more dying gay people on, on theater yeah stories, we just but. want gay people to just like kiss and be happy but also i only want original musicals from now on no more bad cinderella bullshit no more <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally, Em, you know I'm coming to New York in February. So when this broadcast, I will be in New York. So if you see us, say hello. Em and I will probably be around. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, t- uh, today takes is like, are you sure you don't want to see Bad Cinderella? I was like, yeah, you better. Fu-. Now, if anybody's out there, if anyone out there is on the press team for Bad Cinderella, Exit Stage Death would love to be at the Bad Cinderella opening. We would love to do, we would love to be at press events with you. We would love to, um, yeah, we will put our face there. So if you want to give us tickets, we will come. Would we? For free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I will see anything that I get free tickets and That's for. true. But, uh, and, I and, will, and you know, you kind of want to see if, if, what's his name, if, uh, if Andrew Lloyd Webber will like have another like block party where he's the DJ. <laughs> I want to take something that Starlight Express to have him sign. That's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think I think this is just a really shining example of the ability to tell a story and adapt. I think this is also an example of why it's really important to have the creator of the source material on mm. your team. I think just I think moving forward, if we're to kind of taking some educational notes here, if you're going to adapt something, have the person involved. And if you're going in to adapt something and all you want to do is change it, maybe you don't want to actually adapt it. Maybe you mm. want to tell an original story. Mm. Um, but M, any final thoughts as we wrap up? No, I just love this show. I do too. And I think everyone who hasn't watched it should go watch it. Everyone should watch it. Young kids should, well, you know, like preteens and stuff. Mm-hmm. Teens should watch it. I... I just like I care so deeply. I think that's like what it is. It's like I just want to like hold all of them. I want to hold all of these characters like to my bosom and just mm-hmm. protect them and like like I want to be in their world cuz I'm like, "Oh, uh-huh. how nice would that have been to have this world?" You know? Yeah. And and more people just like need to know it. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I agree. It it's yeah. So M, where can everyone find you on the internet space? You can find me um, on Instagram at Emily Martinez official, or I also have like a home decor uh, Instagram called the whole being home thing. Um, I also have a podcast. I would love it if you would check out my podcast um, called Oh, I'm Lonely, Finding Purpose in Loneliness. Um, and yeah, that's on my Instagram too. Like all that info info's there. So you can just go over there or you could check out like – I guess I have a website too. I never talk about. But <laughs> Emily, 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 Emily. No, www.emilymartinezofficial – no, Emily Martinez – no, www.emilymartinezentertainer.com and all my stuff is there. I love that. Well, Emily, 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 dot Emily. Emily. Get, go to bed, Emily. <laughs> Emily, <laughs> please. Emily, please. Emily, please. Uh, but thank you again for being on the show. Maddie, I'm so excited for week. this series for you. It's going to be know, great. I don't, 
I don't know when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen. This is being re released with uh, Saturday Morning Confidential, so we'll see. Uh, I do have another one of these that will be coming out in a couple months where we talk about Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief and the terrible Percy Jackson movie uh, uh, yes. in the wake of the Percy Jackson TV series coming out from Disney+. Plus. Today's episode is sponsored by Sunny Bear Homestead. A new year means a new commitment to a focus on health, wellness, and self-care. And no one does self-care better than Sunny Bear Homestead, a queer-owned business nestled near the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. Sunny Bear offers carefully crafted tea blends made from award-winning recipes, sensuous soaps, scrubs, and they work with local artists to bring you local honey, maple syrup, and decadent smoked coffee that will take your brunch game to the next level. Now, I don't advertise for anything that I don't personally love, and I have to tell you that their oatmeal, milk, and honey signature soaps and scents are my absolute favorite. They're crisp and clean and simple, and their massive menu of teas are perfect for every occasion year around. Now, Sunny Bear Homestead ships all over the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and it's more important now than ever to support small local business. You can find their wide assortment of incredible offerings at Homemade Sunny Bear. Now, that's S-U-N-N-Y-B-E-A-R.com. So, HomemadeSunnyBear.com. And just for our Dreamer Productions listeners, you can use code DREAMER, that's D-R-E-A-M-E-R, -E -E all uppercase letters, at checkout for 15% off your order. Again, use code DREAMER at checkout for 15% off your order. Thanks again to Sunny Bear Homestead for sponsoring this episode. Now on with the show. Have you ever seen something in a theater that you just couldn't explain? Or have you ever thought about if dying really ain't that bad? And do you spend sleepless nights wondering exactly what happened to Natalie Wood that night on the boat? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then it's time for you to exit stage death. Exit Stage Death is the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows. Releasing bi-weekly on Tuesday starting May 24th. So if you want to find out which Broadway house is the most haunted, talk about what killed our favorite Broadway flops, and learn about the murderous path of Mama Rose that took Gypsy Rose Lee to stardom. It's time for Places, actors. Thank, Thank you, you places. places. It's time to exit stage death. Saturday Morning Confidential is brought to you by Dreamer Productions and is a proud member of the Certain POV Podcast Network. You can find us on Facebook at Saturday Morning Confidential, on Instagram at SMC Pod, and on Twitter at The SMC Podcast. You can find all the shows that Certain POV has to offer at CertainPOV.com or also on Patreon at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of only $2 a month keeps constant programming coming in and supporting our new shows as we go throughout 2022. Now join us again next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV CertainPOV.com